0: So as we are celebrating uh, the idea of Thanksgiving, the holiday of Thanksgiving, uh, our first two scripture readings today are Psalms of Thanksgiving. So if you could turn with me to Psalm 138, Uh, we will read the whole Psalm, Psalm 138. I give you thanks, O Lord, with my whole heart. Before the gods I sing your praise. I bow down toward your holy temple and give thanks to your name for your steadfast love. And your faithfulness, for you have exalted your name and your word above everything. On the day I called, you answered me, and you increased my strength of soul. All the kings of the earth shall praise you, O Lord, for they have heard the words of your mouth. They shall sing the ways of the Lord, for, the great, for great is the glory of the Lord. For though the Lord is high, he regards the lowly but the haughty he perceives from far away. Though I walk in the midst of trouble, you preserve me against the wrath of my enemies. You stretch out your hand, and your right hand delivers me. The Lord will fulfill his purpose for me. Your steadfast love, O Lord, endures forever. Do not forsake the work of your hands. The word of God for the people of God.
1: Our second scripture reading is Psalm 107, verses 1 through 9. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His love endures forever. Let the redeemed of the Lord say this, those he redeemed from the hand of the foe, those he gathered from the lands, from the east and west, from north and south. Some wandered in desert wastelands, finding no way to a city where they could settle. They were hungry and thirsty, and their lives ebbed away. Then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. He led them by a straight way to a city where they could settle. Let them give thanks to the Lord for His unfailing love and His wonderful deeds for men, for He satisfies the thirsty and fills the hungry with good things. The Word of God for the people of God.
2: Thanks be to God. Your next scripture reading today is from the Book of Ruth, chapter four. Wrong. I know. She's not wrong. She, uh, it's a blessing to us all. Um, the book of Ruth chapter four, verse 13, if you want to get there. Uh, so this is the end of Ruth and we've kind of gone through the whole shebang in the last four weeks. So here we go. Ruth four thirteen. So Boaz took Ruth and she became his wife. And when they came together, the Lord made her conceive and she bore a son. And then the women said to Naomi, Blessed be the Lord, who has not left you on this day without a next of kin. May his name be renowned in all of Israel. He shall be to you a restorer of life. And a nourisher of your old age for your daughter-in-law who loves you is more to you than seven sons has bore him. And then Naomi took the child and laid him in her bosom and made him nurse. And the woman of the neighborhood gave him a name, saying, God, I'm sorry, a son has been born to Naomi. And they named him Obed. He became the father of Jesse. Jesse who is the father of David. Now they are the descendants of Perez, and Perez the father of Hezaron, and Hezaron of Ram, and Ram of Abedimadad, and Abedimadad of Nashon, and Nishan of Salam, and Salam of Boaz, Boaz of Obed, Obed of Jesse, and Jesse of David. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks, Thanks be to God. God. So most of you know that the Book of Ruth has been our Sunday school reading um, for all of the month of November, and it has also been our secondary lectionary text also for the, book of no- for the month of November. So we have read the book of Ruth from this pulpit and we've discussed portions of it in Sunday school but I felt that we would be almost remiss if we didn't actually have a sermon from the book of Ruth. Um, so that is what we're going to do. So if you'd allow me this morning, instead of pulling from one chapter like the lectionary suggests or from just taking from the Sunday school book this morning, I'm going to speak on the overarching themes of Ruth and basically preach the whole book of Ruth which is secretly why there is no Sunday school, because this is going to be a minute. No one's laughing. That's a joke. I'm not, that's not true. The look on Shari's face is like, oh, I didn't sign up for that this morning. Uh, no, um, but I am going to, instead of going back through and reading the whole book of Ruth, I'm going to kind of summarize it for a minute before we move on, in case maybe we have forgotten over the last little bit. Um, so our story begins with a nice Jewish family with a problem. Uh, they A famine has hit Bethlehem, and it forces Elimelech and his wife Naomi to move east to Moab uh, where their two son, with their two sons to try to get some food, basically. So there they set up shop, and they live for 10 years, and then the sons marry two local girls. And their names are? We've done this for a month. <laughs> their names are Ruth and... Orpah. Their names are Ruth and Orpah, okay? Or Oprah, which is actually, Oprah's mom tried to name her, and she couldn't spell Orpah, so that's what happened. Um, So you got Ruth and Orpah, but in the land of Moab, one by one, Elimelech and his two sons both pass away. So this leaves Naomi and Ruth and Orpah uh, husbandless, manless, in the time of need, in a time where you needed a man. So Naomi decides to head back to Bethlehem. Um, she figures 10 years is long enough for that famine, and hopefully we go back to Bethlehem, and there will be bread in the house of bread, and so her daughter-in-laws together, they pack up their luggage, and they join her, and Naomi then begins to beg the girls, right, she begs the girls to stay, don't come with me, I can't help you, and so Orpah quickly says, got it, I'll stay here, I'll stay with my people, And then Ruth pledges her devotion to Naomi, and she says, I will forsake my God and my people, and I will become part of Naomi's life. And then Ruth's stubbornness pays off, and Naomi lets her tag along. So in Bethlehem, things are still not good for these two women. Naomi is then feeling down and out, and Ruth is reduced to gleaning in the barley fields. And there Ruth happens to run into a well-known rich man by the name of Boaz, this is a call and response time. Um, so his name is Boaz, and Boaz happens to be a relative of Naomi, who is uh, her, Naomi's late husband, actually, which is very, very important to the story, since Boaz would then have an obligation to marry Ruth and provide for her whole family. When Naomi hears about Boaz and what a stand-up guy he is, she hatches this plan for Ruth to snag him as a husband. This seems logical, right? This is where the um, the almost Hallmark-esque story comes into play in the book of Ruth. Um, so she tells her daughter-in-law to visit Boaz at night and in secret and lay at his feet, and Ruth does what her mother-in-law asks, and then Boaz is pleasantly surprised that this cute young girl is into him because we can tell that... Uh, looking back that Boaz is about 80 and Ruth is about 40. Um, and so he says, um, I'd love to marry you, but there's this other guy that's actually a closer relative to you, and this is beginning to have a problem. So Boaz sets out to meet the guy, and everyone is left to hold their breath for a minute to figure out who Ruth is going to marry, right? And then we find out that um, the random relative is not interested in Ruth at all, but she does he does want to kind of buy some property that Naomi has, but that's another story. Uh, but he is not interested in the daughter-in-law as a wife, so a deal is struck. And the other guy renounces his claim to Ruth, and Boaz is free to marry her. So wedding bells start ringing. This is a beautiful end to our Hallmark story. And Ruth and Boaz have a son, which makes Naomi very happy. And the women in town, like we read just a moment ago, named the baby Obed. And surprise, surprise, at the end, he becomes the grandfather of King David. Beautiful story, right? So the book of Ruth is one of our two books in the Protestant Bible that have been named after women. It's, we have Ruth and we have Esther. And most of us growing up as evangelical women have probably read the books of Ruth and Esther more than we have read the Gospels. Um At least I know that I have. I have personally in the last probably 10 years taught seven to 10 Bible studies on the book of Esther or the book of Ruth. I know that Beth Moore has about six. She has one on Ruth and Esther. Kelly Minter has one on both Ruth and Esther, and I've I've taught them both um, in different circumstances. Um, Because women, we get the women text, right? We get Esther. We get get Ruth. Um, And so but it's almost a disservice to us as women because this is not an easy, both of them are not easy texts. They're actually super complicated. I wish we'd get things like 1 Kings or Jonah where there's a definite good and there's a definite evil, Um, but there's no definite look where God wins in this story. There's no look what God did this incredible thing in this story on the outset. So you have to dig a little bit to find what's going on in this text. And I think the first striking thing that anyone is going to realize, even in my abrupt summary of this book, is that there isn't a lot about God in the book of Ruth. We kind of mentioned that in Sunday school a couple weeks ago. The only time that God is mentioned in the whole book is when Ruth briefly renounces the God of the Moabite people and declares to Naomi, well, I guess your God will be my God now because I would like to eat food. All right, like that's where we get it, is that she's like, oh, well, I'll go with you so we don't starve, and your God can be my God. So how do we tell a story about God and put it in a book about our God where God is absent? But I think it's hard to say he's absent, so we're going to kind of move into that. Because I think the first gospel truth being expressed in this Old Testament text is that God doesn't have to be mentioned to be present. There is no place in this story or any of our stories where God's work isn't progressing, right? And sometimes that statement, though, is such a hard one to swallow because I'm sure Naomi couldn't see the story of God in the death of Elimelech. And I'm sure she couldn't see the story of God while living in famine. And I'm sure she couldn't see the story of God while they were living like paupers and gleaning from the fields. But we can look back through the character's lives and the gift that was given us in this book with hindsight and say, well, in the death of Naomi's husband, grace gave her Ruth. And in the times of famine, the grace of God took her back to Judah. And when living like paupers, grace brought her the kinsman redeemer. See, our hindsight and ability to look over this overarching story allows us to see the story, like I kind of view my grandmother's quilts, which I have up here this morning. I don't know if you notice; these are a couple of quilts. They're actually not my grandmother's, they're my great-grandmother's quilts. Um, and so I laid them up here this morning as part of my illustration, but they're my great-grandmother's quilts. And if you notice, they're actually not quilts, they're quilt toppers. Uh, they were never completed. But they were made by my great-grandmother on my father's side, who was famous for her quilts. Um, To say that she made hundreds upon hundreds is probably not an overstatement in the very least. Uh, These are a few that she made in the later years of her life. My great-grandmother passed away when I was a junior in high school, and she was 95 years old. These quilts were made in the very last stages of her life. I think she was 92 when she did this one, and she was 93 when she did that one. Um, And because of this, some of the quilts made at this point don't look that perfect, right? They're not perfect. Some of the pieces don't look great. She didn't get to complete them to totality. She didn't get to finish them. There are some things that don't look perfect in them, Um, but mixed in with all these bad stitches are some really, really good ones, and you know nobody steps back from these quilts and says, look at this horrible job that this elderly woman did. No one does that, I don't at the very least. I have um, my sister who named her uh, newest daughter after my great grandmother I had one quilt topper I was willing to give her and I, I put it in a, in a big frame and I hung it up and she has it hanging up in her house and right when you walk in her house and it's because uh, her daughter's name is Lucille and named it after her and so it's hanging up as like an homage to my uh, to my grandmother and there's this you can tell there's just this big stitch at the beginning that's just not perfect. And she has never said, that anyone has ever walked into her house and said, that's not beautiful. The first step, when you look at it, you're like, that's beautiful. Why? And what does it have to say about Naomi? Well, am I trying to say that God is a master quilter and that he stitches the good and the bad, but it's beautiful in the end, so we should be okay with it? That's not exactly what I'm saying this morning. The analogy that I'm trying to convey and what I think Naomi would want us to know is that our lives are often the quilts that we make. Did my grandmother make these bad stitches because she hated the quilt? Did she make bad stitches because she wasn't a good quilter? Absolutely not. She did those things because her eyesight had diminished and her hands trembled a little. It was nothing that she did that caused the imperfection. It was nothing that she did that caused the imperfection. It was nothing that Naomi did that put her into famine. It was nothing that she did. But at the end of it all, at the good and the bad, we can say we created a beautiful picture. That there is no circumstance where we cannot find the very grace of God. Good things and bad things happen, but something beautiful is being created. But if we focus on every bad stitch, we're going to miss the beauty that is coming. We'll always miss the beauty that comes after. Now, Naomi herself was tempted to do this. In the portion of the text that did not end up in my lengthy summary, Naomi says she's about to give up, and she tells the Bethlehemites to call her Mara which means bitterness. In her quintessential Old Testament way that only people in that Old Testament time could, she was trying to convey, hey, I'm frustrated, I'm mad, I'm probably upset with God. I'm ready to give up. Now you heard me say this before, that's an okay place to be. Since all emotions come from God, there's not a bad emotion for us to feel. But let's just not stay there forever. Let's keep stitching and let's keep moving and let's keep seeing that God is working. Naomi kept pushing and she lifted her head and she chose hope. She could have quit at death and famine and we would not have blamed her. One thing that hope does is that it perpetually pushes us towards resurrection. For Naomi, it pushed her towards being able to see resurrection in the face of a little grandbaby that we know as Obed. Just a few chapters earlier, her family she thought that her family would be lost and forgotten and done. But then you have Obed. Out of the grave and out of the ashes came a miracle of life. But hope is sneaky like that, y'all. Hope is sneaky because it gave her a small resurrection that she could see and then it gave her a huge resurrection that she couldn't see, right? Because in that last chapter of Ruth that we read, we realize that she starts the lineage of Christ. And that baby's name is Obed and he became the grandfather of King David who is in the lineage of our Savior, that the faith and the hope of Naomi produced the greatest resurrection we ever knew. It brought forth the Christ. Some of you in this place are probably sitting in some bad times this morning. And some of you can't see the beauty of the life quilt that is around you. Some of you probably can't stand the thought of Thanksgiving this week. Because maybe you have a parent or a sibling or a cousin that you really can't stand to be around and don't want to see. Or maybe you're dreading Thanksgiving because of who's not going to be there because there's emptiness, because there's loss, and there's somebody that is no longer with us. And whether you're in the midst of that grief or pain or bitterness, there is hope for you this morning. There is hope for you today because there is Jesus. There is Jesus, and with Jesus always comes resurrection. I cannot promise you that you will see every bit of resurrection that you are hoping for in this life. Naomi did not get to see everything that her hope produced. But I can promise you this. Jesus wants to stand beside us and be ever present with us as we craft this beautiful life. This evening, we're all going to come back in this place and gather around a table. And we're going to talk about what we are thankful for. And we're going to read prayers of gratefulness. And then after that, we're going to talk about the family that we're adopting for our Christmas project. Because as we praise the God whose eye is on the sparrow, we have to be willing to look at the sparrows. We have to be able to say that if God is watching over us, we have to be watching over them. We have to connect with these people. And as we stand back and appreciate the beauty of the life that is around us, let us all commit together to help make these people's lives a little bit more beautiful, to give them a little bit more hope that will push us all towards resurrection. Let us pray. Holy Spirit, we thank you that you are present.